All right. Hey, we are starting a new series. It's called The Main Thing. And this will be a vision series. We'll be talking about our vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out. But uh, I wanted to call it The Main Thing. Stephen Covey is known to have given the quote, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I've always loved that quote. I think I heard Zig Ziglar say that one time way back when. And it just resonated with me because I'm a bottom line guy. I like the simplest thing possible. Give me the most important deal. And this is exactly it, especially for Christians. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And in today's world, that's even more challenging, I think, than it's ever been in my lifetime. It's very difficult to keep our eyes on the Lord and on the prize and not get distracted by all the stuff that's going on in this world, but we can do it. Since the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, that's why we talk about our vision statement so much. Reach up, rise up, reach out. This is our vision statement. It's our compass. It's what Good Hope Church is all about. Here's the catchphrases that go with each one. Reach up, a real relationship with the living God is available to you and rise up a real relationship with the living God will change you and reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. So this is our vision statement. This is what we're about at Good Hope Church. We're about connecting with God, growing in our faith, and making a difference in this world. Today, we're going to talk about connecting with God and growing in our faith and how those two work together. How when we reach up to God, when we spend time in prayer, when we make that connection with God, that he actually helps us rise up. He is there for us and empowers us. So when we reach up, then God will help us to rise up. They go together. Today with Reach Up, I want to call you to personal prayer. I want to reinvigorate your life in personal prayer. It's good to watch church services online. It's good to listen to podcasts. It's good to be involved in growing and learning. But we also need to be sure to have a personal prayer life that is vibrant and strong. Without that, without reaching up to God in prayer, we're going to be missing some very, very powerful, very important things in our Christian walk. So we must connect with God. And I've got a couple things I want to let you know about. First of all, on September 26th, Jonathan Khan is doing an event called The Return And there's going to be a big thing going on in Washington, D.C. and stuff like this. Locally here at the Kingdom Builders building in Cloquet, there's going to be people praying. And I just want to make you aware of that. If you want details, you can check out thereturn.org for the national information. You can connect with them online, too. So thereturn.org, a call to prayer, September 26th, plus there's a 10-day prayer thing. Very good way to get engaged in prayer if you haven't really been sure how to get started with that. And then this October, October of 2020, is Good Hope Church's 10th anniversary. We launched the church in October 2010, and now it'll be 2020, so it'll be our 10th anniversary, and we like to have a month of prayer and fasting in October. And that doesn't mean that we want people to pray and fast for a month, but for the whole month, we want to have somebody praying and fasting each day. I encourage you to take some time in October to fast and pray 
to take whatever works for you. If you want to fast a meal, if you want to do a Daniel fast, uh, you know, consult your physician. If you have any health issues along those lines, make sure that you can fast in a safe way. But I encourage you this October to pray and fast, to try to make an extra effort to connect with God here at Good Hope. We'll be praying and fasting and believing God to bring the church into the next season of fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. So that's October, our 10th anniversary, fasting and prayer. So life is full of distractions from Christ. Again, this seems to be getting worse, you know, with technology and sensationalism and all that sort of a thing. I think it's just a very distractible world that we live in, but we must keep our connection with the Lord. We must continue to reach up. One time, this was years ago, man, what was this? The mid nineties, early nineties, somewhere in there. I was just sitting in church and I was attending a small fellowship church that met in a cafeteria of an elementary school. And we had maybe 40, 50 people. And and it was pretty neat. They had a special speaker there one time, an evangelist, you know, the good old fashioned evangelist that made lots of noise. This was a little farther South, you know, running around yelling and screaming and preaching out of the Bible. And he was doing his thing and I was sitting there. He stopped what he was saying and he pointed at me right in the congregation. And he said, look up, not over. If you look over, you'll see the faults of men. If you look up, you'll see the glory of God. And then he went back into his message. And I thought, you know, it was a prophetic message just for me. And I appreciated it because that's basically where I was at. I was looking over and I was seeing the faults of people. And I was thinking these people are all messed up and goofy. And it was something that was preventing me from really engaging God. I was spending too much time in my head thinking about what different people were doing wrong. And I wasn't spending time in my head just worshiping God, glorifying God, trying to connect with and learn about the Lord. I was focusing too much on the mistakes of people. And man, do we have opportunities for that in today's world. So I want to encourage you, look up, not over. You look over, you'll see all the goofiness of these people. Look up and see the glory of God. Now, of course, we don't want to forget Matthew 10, 16 when we're doing this. Matthew 10, 16 is still very important. This is when Jesus was sending out his disciples to go get some work done. And he says to them, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. It's okay to know what's going on in the world. It's okay to have a wisdom and be able to be shrewd in your dealings with this world, to not get uh, taken advantage of and be naive. But at the same time, if we focus too much on the things of this world and all the goofiness and everything, it's going to pull us away from connecting with God and the glory of God. So be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves when we look up, not over. So how do we do that? How do we look up, not over? That's a very important question. I'm going to turn the page back a little bit in Matthew. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter six. We're going to read verses five through eight and get a grasp of how to look up, how to be called into personal prayer, how to live that out according to the teachings of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. So here we go. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. 
Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, let's look at each verse here. Verse five, it says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Do not pray to impress other people. If you pray to impress other people, your full reward, all God will do is let you have impressed other people. And you probably will not have succeeded in impressing other people, but that will be all you get from God is you got to do that. Now, I assume that this also includes praying to check it off the list. If that's what you're there to do in prayer is check it off the list. Perhaps that's your reward in full. You got to check it off the list. The fundamental concept isn't religiously accomplishing a task and somehow earning the favor of God. No, we need to connect with God. How do we connect with God? The next verse. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So you can get your reward in full by trying to impress people, or you can go in your room. So Jesus here, it's the NIV. It says, go in your room. I don't know what 2000 years ago, what that meant. You know, if people had bedrooms and that sort of deal, I I feel more communal living. I don't, I don't know exactly how it all worked, but Jesus is saying, go to your room and pray. Your father will see you. You, Nobody else needs to know about it. You don't need to worry about anything else. Just go to your room. So Jesus is not talking about corporate prayer. He's not talking about praying like the return. That stuff is great. But this is talking about individual, personal prayer, you and God. Nobody else knows about it. It's your personal prayer time with the Lord. And Jesus says, go to your room and shut the door. Now, basically what that means is you need to find your own personal altar, your own place where you can go and meet with Jesus. Some people kneel at the foot of the bed in their bedroom. They literally go to their room. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate in that I have a key to the church. I can come in here anytime it's not being used and I can turn on the lights and I can turn on the sound system and I can crank some worship music and I just spend some time here in prayer and worship. I can do that a lot. I mean, this is my personal altar. It's a glorious, wonderful benefit to being the pastor of this church. But I also have places where I can pray. You know, I like to go out into nature, out into the woods, sit on top of a rock and pray. That's another place where I like to go. But you need to find a place and designate it as your personal altar, your personal prayer closet, your personal place of prayer and then go there and pray. I don't think it really matters where that place is, but you need to designate that. You need to have a place of prayer so that you can personally go and pray. Then the next verse, verse seven, Jesus says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Did Jesus just say, keep it short? Is that that what he just said? I think maybe yes and no. I mean, for sure, Jesus right here is making the important point uh, that I heard one preacher say one time. He said, how long do you have to pray to earn a healing? You know, well, it's not about earning a healing. You know, you don't just keep on praying until you wear down God. You know, I mean, you can't earn a healing. You pray, you set it before the Lord, and then you do verse eight. So yes, don't just keep on praying. You're not going to 
win over God. You have to present your requests to God, but don't keep on babbling like pagans. However, there were times where Jesus prayed all through the night. There are times for us to pray through. I know for me, when I present a request before God, then I present that request and I let the peace of God guard my heart and my mind and I leave. But let's say I need clarity on what to do in a situation. Let's say I need to understand what to preach, what direction to go with the church. That's where I need to spend time. The other day I was getting ready to preach this sermon and I saw I had a one hour gap in my schedule and I thought, oh no, just an hour. How much prayer can I get done in an hour? How far can I get in an hour? And if you're praying for your family members and that sort of thing, man, you can get that done real quick. But if you're seeking the Lord for direction and there's other things too, it just takes time. Now, I think I got a little ways in an hour, but I had to supplement that with extra prayer at other times to be able to really kind of get solid on where I felt the Lord was leading me with this particular sermon. There are times, I think, in our personal prayer where it can be fairly quick. Jesus says, don't keep babbling like pagans. Just get her done. You know, let it be quick. You don't have to pray for an hour or two or three. You know, if, if you're praying for five minutes, sometimes that can be a powerful five minutes. You know, be led personally on that. But don't think that you have to put in a huge amount of time for this to be effective in your walk with God. Jesus says, don't keep on babbling. And then verse eight, you know, important verse, do not be like them. These ones that keep on babbling for your father knows what you need before you ask him. What's Jesus saying with that? He's saying, then trust God. You're not surprising him with anything. He's already got a plan. So trust God, go forward, trusting in the Lord. So this is the basic template of how we reach up in prayer, how we continue in a personal prayer life. We want to not do this to impress other people or check it off the religious list. But instead, we're trying to connect with God. We're closing the door in our room or wherever your personal altar is. And you're connecting with God. Nobody else knows what's going on. So if you know, you need to get something from God. You need to get a connection with God there. And then you can keep it short. You can pray through also. Sometimes it takes a long time, but sometimes you can just pray short and then trust God. That's the template that Jesus gives here in Matthew chapter six. So very important as believers, we are called to pray continually, pray without ceasing. We must have a vibrant prayer life and not lose that vibrant prayer life. We want to be people of prayer. Then if we are reaching up to God, continuing that relationship with God, then he will lift us up. If we do the first part, if we do the reach up part, then God will help us with the second part of the vision, the rise up part. He will help us rise up. There's a whole bunch of scriptures on this. Let me just read a few of them. So I'm going to start with 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. It says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Okay, so that's me to everybody else too. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So when we humble ourselves and Humble yourself in prayer, humble yourself in obedience, humble yourself in a variety of ways, but certainly personal prayer is a significant part of humbling yourself 
It's where you go to the Lord, you kneel in prayer, you know, whatever posture works for you. If you got bad knees, you don't have to kneel, but kneeling is very helpful for me. Uh, You humble yourself before God, you submit to the Lord, and then he lifts you up. So rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. God will help you with that if you humble yourself before him in prayer. He will help you. And then James makes the exact same point in James chapter 4, verses 6 and 10. Let's read those. Verse 6 of chapter 4, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So we see James is quoting the same proverb that Peter did. And then in verse 10, James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So when we reach up to God in humility, in prayer, when we humble ourselves before God, he lifts us up. The rise up part is helped by God himself. And uh, boy, let's, let's go back to Matthew. We read in Matthew earlier, but in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus makes the same point. He says the same thing to, uh, to the people. He says, 23 verse 12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Basically, those who, you know, try to be all fancy, God's going to cut them down to size. But those who are willing to be humble, who are going to humble themselves in prayer, humble themselves in obedient service to God, humble themselves in so many different ways, then God will lift them up. God will exalt them. So this teaching is just all over the place. Let me go to Philippians chapter 1. This is a great section of scripture along these lines. Here, Paul and Timothy writing to the church in Philippi and uh, says this, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus that he who began a good work in you, this is almighty God that begins a good work in you. We come to Christ, we reach up, God is doing a good work in us, and he will continue to do that as we continue to seek the Lord. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So there are promise that as we continue in the Lord, that God will continue to work in us to help us to grow, help us to learn. He will complete the good work that has started. He won't just leave us half developed as believers, but he'll grow us up. What an incredible, wonderful promise. And then of course, I'm just going to stop with John 15 verse five. You know, there's a whole bunch of different verses I could do here, but verse five, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I, in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. So how do we abide in the vine? I tell you what, personal prayer is a huge part of abiding in the vine. When we stay connected with Jesus, we stay connected with the Lord in prayer, then we bear much fruit because he is empowering us. He is lifting us up. He is helping us to learn and to grow and to become. But apart from him, we can't do anything. If we don't do the reach up part, then we're not going to grow. We're not going to learn. We're not going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God because we can't do it on our own. So you need to do your part. You need to do the reach up part. And then God will help you with the rise up part. He will help you with this, but God will not do the reach up part for you. He won't do that. You've got to do your part. Then let God do his part. Now I've heard people with 
Matthew 23, 12, you know, if you exalt yourself, he'll humble you. You know, he'll do your job for you if you don't humble yourself first. But that's not what you want. You don't want God humbling you. You want to be humble and have him lift you up, him exalt you, him take you uh, into a place of advancement. That's what you want. So God won't do your part in humbly reaching up to him. You've got to do that, but he will help you grow. He will help you to rise up. He will be there with you through that process. So rise up is not about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, reach up, rise up, reach out. Rise up isn't just grit your teeth and do more. Grit your teeth and do better. It's about reaching up to God and then having God grow you up. God help you. God empower you. That's what it's about. We'll go back to Philippians. We read this not too long ago. Philippians 4, the apostle Paul uh, talking to the church in Philippi, Paul and Timothy writing verses 12 and 13. Paul is talking about some of the difficulties he's been through. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's the secret? That's the next verse. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul isn't saying I'm pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm just going to make it happen because I'm tough. He's saying, no, I wouldn't be able to get through this if it weren't for the empowerment of the Lord. I can do all this because I gain strength from the Lord. Because in prayer, in that connection with God, there is strength. There is perspective. There is the ability to overcome. So we need to continue on in that just like the apostle Paul did. So Paul wasn't saying, I'm so tough. I can do all this stuff. He's saying, I'm staying connected with the Lord and he's helping me. He's given me strength. I've got the secret of being content in any circumstance because I've got someone who gives me strength. It's not about doing it yourself. It's about tying into the power of God. That means if you're faithful in prayer, God will meet you right there and he'll help you. If you're reaching up, that will lead to God helping you rise up, helping you grow. If you hit roadblocks in your prayer life, don't give up. Learn and grow. We all hit roadblocks in our prayer life. We all have times where we think, man, I, I, nothing's getting done here. You know, I've got 38 prayer requests and none of them seem to be going anywhere. I don't feel the presence of God. You know, have seasons like that. Don't give up. Learn how to connect with God more effectively. Keep seeking ways to connect with God. Learn and grow in your prayer life. If you're a Christian and you don't have a personal prayer life, that's the problem. If you think it's the church, if you think it's the world, if you think it's not being on the right medication, whatever it is, if you don't have a prayer life, don't blame other things. Get yourself a prayer life. Connect with God. He'll help you grow up. So, Reach up, a real relationship with the living God is available to you. Rise up, a real relationship with the living God will change you. The first one leads into God helping with the second one. You know, earlier I talked about, you know, look up, not over. When we look over and we see all this mess, all this goofiness in this world, that doesn't edify you. It doesn't build you up as a follower of Jesus. Most of the time people kind of, they see all that, they get caught up in it. It's like you get infected with the darkness of the world and people get all weird. 
you know, shrewd as snakes. Let's understand what's going on in the world, but let's not get sucked into it. Let's not get brought into a, a dark understanding of reality and, and just seeing everything is yucky. No, we want to look up to the Lord, reach up to God and have strength to have contentment in any circumstance. This is what we want. We want to grow and get better at following Jesus. But hey, none of this matters if you don't get started in the first place. So I want to talk a little bit about being born again. Jesus had a little conversation with a man named Nicodemus. He was a teacher. Uh, he was a fancy Pharisee, and he had some questions for Jesus. And so I'm going to go to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at this conversation that Jesus has with this uh, fancy Pharisee named Nicodemus. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was, a, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So Jesus in talking to this uh, member of the Jewish ruling council, a very fancy uh, religious leader, he says, you must be born again. There has to be a, a big change that happens in your life. You can't keep going the way you've been going and have it work out. You need to be born of the spirit, not just born physically. You need to be born of the spirit. And there's lots of different names for this. You know, in the Christian world, we call this lots of different stuff. This being born again that Jesus is describing to Nicodemus. We talk about getting saved, inviting Jesus into your heart, you know, trusting in or believing on Jesus, giving your life to Christ, etc. There's different words for this, but you have to start the process. You have to start your walk with God. You have to choose to follow Christ at some point in your life, if you are going to be brought into the family of God. So I want to talk to the doubters, the fence sitters, and the wanderers for a little bit. I was you. I was a doubter. I wasn't really a fence sitter. <laughs> but I was somebody who was raised to not believe in Jesus. That was, that's how I was brought up. I was brought up agnostic, who was educated and you know, basically brought up to be not caught up in that, you know, foolish mythology of religion. You know, I look down on uh, the weak-minded religious people. You know, I basically thought, if you can't get through life unless you have this relationship with your imaginary friend that you call Jesus, and you, got, you are a weak-minded fool. You know, I just looked down on these people. I didn't see them as valuable. I just thought it was goofiness, you know, because again, I'm, I'm educated. I was an agnostic. Everyone in my family has at least a master's degree. You know, mom, dad, my brother, me, educated people, value education, value 
the facts and not going into these spiritual things. That's how I was raised. When I was in college, I used to talk people out of their faith in Jesus for my own personal amusement. And I felt like I was just fine without God. After I became a Christian and started hearing what different Christian people said, there's that thing of, you know, everybody has a God-sized hole in their heart. And I didn't. I didn't care one way or another. It didn't matter to me at all. I, I, I honestly, I mean, I'm not trying to say anything funny or what. I mean, I was, I felt fine. I was happy. My life was, I mean, I had the normal challenges everybody else had, but I didn't feel like I had a God-sized hole in my heart. I just was a normal person living a life and, and I was enjoying it. I seemed fine, but then God intervened in my life and changed everything. The vision statement that we have reach up, rise up, reach out. You know, it's not a cute little religious statement. It's not a nice little marketing plan, marketing slogan for the church or anything like that. This is my life story. Reach up, rise up, reach out. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. A real relationship with the living God will change you. And a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. This is my life story and it can be your life story as well. Now, I don't necessarily know you, but I would guess that you've been hurt, that you've been lied to, and that you've been alone in your life. And I want to show you the way to healing, the way to truth, and the way to belonging from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by the hands of men. That verse can be a little complicated to understand. But basically what Paul is saying is there are insiders and there are outsiders. There are people who belong in religious circles and there are people who don't belong in religious circles. And he's talking to the people who don't belong. And he's pointing out the fact that the people who do belong like to think they're fancier than everybody else. That's why he's very, very sure you know, to talk about who call themselves the circumcision, you know, done in the body by the hands of men, you know, just religious stuff, but that's not really about a relationship with God. He's making sure to make that point that they can be exclusive in the way they look at people and you are excluded. But guess what? There's more to the story. Verse 12, remember again, twice, verse 11, remember verse 12, remember That at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So the outsider, I didn't know I was without hope and without God in the world until I came to see God and know God and realize what was there. You know, you can be driving through the fog 80 miles an hour towards a cliff and you don't know the road's going to be gone. You don't know there's a problem. You're just happy as can be. I didn't know I was without God. I thought I was just a person living life on a ball, you know, big rock floating through space without hope and without God in the world. If that's you, you find yourself in this life, you're floating through it. You're not sure what's going on. Or even if you're perfectly happy, but you're without God, let me tell you, there is a life with God you can have. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What this means is if you see yourself as an outsider, if you don't belong, if you were raised to hate religion and to hate people who believe, 
Whatever happened, whatever you've done, whoever you are, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Christ, we are brought near. In Christ, there is so much more to life. In Christ, there is forgiveness. There is freedom. There is truth. There is healing. There is belonging. There is so much more to what's real than what you see if you don't believe in Jesus. There is so much more. I just want to read one more passage. We're going to finish up today. Last passage is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. I want to focus on verse 20. It says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin or a sin offering for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you have wandered from God, it's time to come home. If you haven't believed, it's time to reach up. It's time to talk to the Lord and see if he'll come and meet you where you're at. I talked to him. He met me where I was at. I believe he'll do that for you as well. So I call you now to either come back if you're a wanderer or to start a relationship with the living God. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you believe it, pray along with me. And that will help you start that relationship with the living God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Lord, for those who are feeling prompted in their heart to pray, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to do it and that you would help them to mean it. If they mean it, let them pray. Pray this. Heavenly Father, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to forgive the world of their sins. And I ask you to forgive my sins so that I can be brought into your family so that I can be made worthy to be part of what you're about. And Lord, help me to learn your ways and to live them out. I pledge my life to you to learn how to be a follower of you, to learn how to receive good things from you, and then to share those good things with other people. Lord, I pledge you my life. If you prayed that prayer, if that's real, And I believe you started a relationship with God. Now continue to pray, continue to seek him, have a personal prayer life, grow in that way. And heavenly father, I pray a blessing over each one. I pray Lord that you would help us to connect with you, to have that personal prayer life. Even if we've been walking with you for 50 years, Lord, help us to grow in you, help us to 
to connect with you in prayer so that you can lift us up so that you can empower us so that you can strengthen us so that we can, as we'll talk about next week, reach out and see other people receive the good things that we have received from you. So Lord bless us in this way in Jesus name. I pray. Amen.